Welcome to ABC, Abergavenny Baptist Church, building faith and friendship. Well, it's also exciting when I come here to see you. It's, it usually involves getting up at six o'clock in the morning and coming to speak to the men. And uh, the reward is one of Lawrence's uh, bacon rolls. So I associate your church with bacon rolls and getting up early. And this morning I associate it with great difficulty in getting here. But uh, I made it. They stopped me at um, Raglan to allow the, uh, the cyclist to go by and I was stopped for about a quarter of an hour. I was thinking as I was sat there that the, the Bible says that um, the Christian life is like a race. Paul said, didn't he run the race that's set before you? And then I thought how these cyclists and... Uh, and runners, you know how they have uh, pauses in the, the race where they stop and have refreshment. And I thought that's exactly what we're doing today. That's what the Lord's Day is all about. This is an hour of refreshment so that we can be helped in our race that we're running for the Lord. So I'm going to preach on uh, Mark and chapter 11, which you've got to in the series that you're looking at. I was interested that Mike is going through Mark, because when I went to, uh, as a minister to Chepstow Baptist Church, I did exactly the same thing and preached through Mark. And I said to Michael, great minds think alike. So it's an excellent book. And we come this morning then to this remarkable entry that Jesus made into Jerusalem. In the history of the world, certain occasions stand out. The day that the first atomic bomb exploded the day when man first set foot on the moon the day that the Berlin Wall fell the day that Nelson Mandela walked free from prison and the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a colt it was an amazing day and it's that day that we're celebrating this Lord's Day the Sunday that Jesus rode into Jerusalem It was the start of the week, of course, which culminated in his crucifixion. And it must be important because all four gospel writers record this event and we we obtain different bits of information from each one of them. This was a day when the past and the present and the future all came together. Hebrews 13.18 says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today and forever. And so I want to look at this passage in that way. And if if we were putting points up on, on the screen, my first point number one would be past prophecies. Past prophecies. Zechariah lived in Jerusalem about 500 years before Jesus was born. And Zechariah made nine prophecies altogether regarding the coming Messiah. I often wonder if these old prophets understood what they were saying, and I rather doubt it. And this is the prophecy that Zechariah made 500 years before. It's in Zechariah 9. He says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a colt, riding on a donkey. He will proclaim peace to the nations. 
and his rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the very ends of the earth. He'll be gentle. He'll be riding on a donkey, colt, the foal of a donkey. And kings did, of course, ride in those days, not cars or even chariots, but they rode horses, but the kings usually rode war horses. But this king who Zechariah prophesied about was to be different. He was to be gentle. He was to be a man of peace and not a man of war. And since the beginning of time, God had known and decreed about this day that we're thinking about this morning. It was Almighty God through his Spirit who inspired the prophets to share details for those who had ears to hear about this day. It was an unbroken colt that Jesus rode, never been ridden before. And Jesus may have been gentle, but he also had remarkable authority. The first time they ever heard him preach, they said, we've never heard anyone preach with authority like this man. He had the authority to speak to the winds and the waves. And he who was also God would not have any trouble with the creature that he had made. Some people like to suggest that probably what had happened was that Jesus had been to the village in advance and made arrangements. You remember he said to the disciples, if, if you have any problems, just say, the Lord has need of the cult. I, I don't think he'd made arrangements beforehand. I think this was just a display of his authority. If anyone asks, just say, the Lord needs it. Because as the Son of God, the world and all that was in it was Jesus' inheritance. Jews, Jewish men, you know, come into their inheritance when they're 30 years old. That explains the story of the prodigal son. Have you ever wondered about that? How the son went to his father and said, can I have my inheritance? Because we normally think of inheritance as something that you get when someone dies. But with Jewish men at the time of Jesus, a man came into his inheritance when he was 30. And once he came into his inheritance, he was adopted by his father and he could from now on act in his father's name. And when Jesus was 30, he was baptized in the River Jordan. And a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son. And from that moment, everything changed. Because Jesus assumed from then on the authority that the Father had given him. And from then on, he began to act in his Father's name. He went around as though he owned the place, which of course he did. In Mark 11 and verse 8, we read about the way that they threw their cloaks. Many people spread their cloaks on the road and others spread branches which they'd cut. And that the spreading of the cloaks was a, a symbol of the people's submission and in this case the submission of Jesus as their king. And this, this same practice of putting the cloaks on the ground for the king to ride over is, is recorded in the book of Kings as well. The words that the people were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they were actually quoting Psalm 118, which is very significant. Psalm 118, 
Verse 25 says, O Lord, Hosanna. That means save us. O Lord, Hosanna, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God. He has made his light to shine upon us. With branches in hand, we join together in a festal procession. So that's what was in the people's mind, in the crowd, as they were shouting out these words from Psalm 118. So these events that we're thinking about were predetermined from the very beginning of time. God is omniscient, that means he knows everything, and he's omnipotent, which means he can do everything. He knows what will happen and he has the power to bring it about. And nothing can stop God's plans, which is great news, isn't it? God is working his purpose out as year succeeds to year. God is working his purpose out and the time is drawing near, nearer and nearer, draws the day, the day that will surely be when this earth will be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Nothing can stop that day coming and nothing could stop this event on that Palm Sunday. In fact, Jesus said it's recorded by Luke, actually. Mark doesn't mention it. It's recorded by Luke that Jesus said, if the people didn't call out, the very stones would cry out because this had to happen, this event. It was decreed by Almighty God from the beginning of time and prophesied hundreds of years before by his prophets, past prophecies. And then the second point coming up on the screen is present perceptions. Present perceptions. By this time, and you've been following the events through in Mark, I know, by this time, Jesus' followers were pretty excited. They'd witnessed an increasing number of remarkable miracles, and of course that had culminated just recently in the most amazing miracle of all, the power to raise someone from the dead. That was a pretty impressive miracle. And so we can imagine that by this time, his, his disciples were, were pretty fired up, not just the twelve, but all those who followed him. And that's really what was happening on this, on this occasion. His, his followers could uh, contain their excitement no longer. And as Jesus began to enter to Jerusalem, the capital, they let rip. And they broke off branches of palm trees and began to wave them. This uh, was Passover time in Jerusalem, of course. And at Passover, huge crowds would gather to be in Jerusalem for Passover. You know how Muslims gather from all over the world to be at Mecca for their holy days. It was rather like that. From all over the world, the known world of, of those days, people would come to be in Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. So there were huge crowds in Jerusalem at that time. I read in the week that uh, 50,000 people were expected in Abergavenny to witness and uh, see the, the cyclists. I, I didn't see the 50,000, did you? But there were probably 50,000 in Jerusalem because this was a great day. And many of those people who were there for Passover had become convinced that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, the promised one. And they came pouring out of the east gate 
to join Jesus' close followers and they proclaimed these words of Psalm 118. Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Only I want to tell you that they got it completely wrong. Because Psalm 118 is a conqueror's psalm. The words were proclaimed when a conqueror rode into Jerusalem. 150 years before this event, they used these words and shouted this psalm when the great warrior Judas Maccabeus entered Jerusalem after slaughtering Israel's enemies and gaining a great victory. It was the psalm for the warrior king. And the reason that they proclaimed these words was because they thought that Jesus, the Messiah, was indeed a warrior come to raise up an army to overthrow the hated Romans. It's not surprising they thought that because that's what their leaders had been teaching that that's what Messiah would do. They'd been teaching that for, for decades, centuries. And it was firmly in people's mind that Messiah was coming as a conquering king to overthrow Israel's enemies. And so they were shouting, Hosanna, here comes the conqueror. And of course, when they discovered that the Messiah was not what they anticipated, they were bitterly disillusioned and of course they crucified him because they got it wrong they were expecting the wrong kind of Messiah and of course Jesus' disciples had exactly the same belief and thought in a particular Bible study group I go to we've been going through John's Gospel and it seems every week almost there is an argument and discussion about whether Jesus is the Messiah but always with the idea it would be the conquering Messiah. And that's what the disciples were anticipating. Do you know, right to the very end. After this event, and if you carry on through Mark, you're going to go through Holy Week and through the crucifixion and the resurrection. And then we have to switch to Acts and read about the 40 days that Jesus spent on the earth from the time that he was resurrected from the dead to the day he was received back into heaven. And we know a little bit about what took place during those days. And one thing that took place during those 40 days after the resurrection was the disciples came to Jesus and said, Is this the time that you're going to proclaim the kingdom and overthrow our enemies? They still thought that he was that conquering king that they'd been taught about. Broadly, isn't it really how the Pharisees and the Sadducees got that idea into their heads? When their prophets so clearly spoke about a suffering servant, gentle Messiah, but that's what they believed. And of course Jesus is equally misunderstood today. In our society, people get it completely wrong just as they did. In our society today, now, the name of Jesus has become a blasphemy which is on everybody's lips. Christ, Jesus Christ, even Jesus wept. And sometimes you hear the blessed name of Jesus Christ with swear words attached to it. You hear it in the streets. You hear it on television and on the radio. Do you read it in the newspapers? Most newspapers don't print swear words for some reason. They just put little asterisks, although everybody knows what the words are. But they print blasphemies. 
I read an article in the Times not that long ago and the article started, Jesus Christ, exclamation mark. Because Jesus is totally misunderstood in our society today. He's mocked, he's caricatured, and his name has become a swear word. And it's our job to proclaim that this Prince of Peace is the Saviour of the world. That he's Lord of Lords and King of Kings. At this very moment, as we sit here in comfort, many, many of our brothers and sisters are in Christ are suffering terrible persecution because they are standing up for who Jesus really is. They are not prepared to say, Asla is great. They can only say, Jesus is Lord. Many pastors are in prison because of their faith in Jesus, the same faith as we have. Many people have lost their homes, all their possessions. Some are suffering torture in concentration camps just because they know who Jesus is. He's the Lord. Past prophecies then, present perceptions, and I couldn't think of another P, so the third point is future fulfillment. Future fulfillment. This event took place on the Mount of Olives. That's what Mike read to us just now. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. That's where it all happened. Four days later, Jesus is on the Mount of Olives again. And let's read what Luke says recording that event. Four days later, same Mount of Olives. Jesus went as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. And on reaching a particular place, he said to his disciples, pray that you won't fall into temptation. And Jesus withdrew about a stone's throw and knelt down on the Mount of Olives and he prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And as he prayed, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And Jesus was in anguish. And he prayed the more earnestly. And his sweat was like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Just four days after that triumphal entry, here is Jesus praying and anticipating the cross. You've probably seen that film, The Passion of the Christ, many have. And it depicts in very, very graphic detail the physical sufferings, the awful physical sufferings that Jesus went through. And to be crucified was a terrible thing. But that's not what it was about. Hundreds of thousands of people were crucified in the same way by the Romans. And crucifixions have gone on taking place in the world right up until about 20 years ago when it was still used as a form of the death sentence in Japan. It wasn't the physical death on the cross. That wasn't what Jesus was in anguish about. What he was in anguish about 
was that he was going to bear our sins in his body on the tree. And I don't really know what that means. I know, what, I know about my sins, but I cannot comprehend what it would be for Jesus to bear the sins of the whole world. And as he hung there on the cross, every foul demon and evil spirit from hell would be assaulting him. And he withstood it all. And Jesus was part of the Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Three yet one, indivisible and yet always one. I was preaching two weeks ago on Trinity Sunday about God who is always one and yet always three. And that glorious Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit had been united as one from the beginning of the age forever and ever in all eternity until the cross when the Trinity was shattered and Jesus was somehow separated from his Father and the Holy Spirit. Why God, why have you forsaken me, he said. And he knew all this was going to happen as he prayed in anguish on the Mount of Olives four days after this event. And after Jesus rose from the dead, he's on the Mount of Olives yet again. In fact, we, we quoted some of it just now. Acts in chapter 1, verse 6. They met together, and as I reminded you earlier, the disciples said to him, Lord, is this the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, it's not for you to know the time or dates that the Father has set by his own authority. But I tell you this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he had spoken these words, Jesus was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. And the disciples were standing looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood by them and they said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing there staring up into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in exactly the same way that you've seen him go. And so they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. Jesus was taken up to heaven from the Mount of Olives. And that began the age of grace, the years of the new covenant, which we're still in today. Legal documents used to refer to this year of grace. The practice only stopped in the 1960s. But whether the legal documents refer to it or not, this is still the year of grace. The age of grace has lasted for more than 2,000 years, but it will not last forever. Because Jesus is coming to the Mount of Olives for a fourth time. He came in that triumphal entry. He went there to pray in anguish. He ascended to heaven from the Mount of Olives. And he's coming a fourth time. And again, that remarkable prophet, Zechariah, refers to it. Isn't that amazing? 500 years before these events. Zechariah 14, verse 3. He says, On that day, the feet of the Lord will stand on the Mount of Olives. 
east of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives on that day will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and the other half of the mountain moving south. And then the Lord my God will come. And when he comes, all the holy ones will come with him. And on that great day, there will be no light, no cold, no frost. It will be a unique day without daytime or nighttime, a day known only to the Lord. On that day, living water will flow out from the Mount of Olives, half to the east and half to the west. And from that day on, the Lord will be king over all the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord, and his name will be the only, the only name. Remarkable prophecy, isn't it? And of course, Jesus himself spoke about that day when he comes for the fourth time to the Mount of Olives. Coming this time not as a, a tiny helpless baby, but coming as King of Kings and Lord of Lords with a mighty army of angels to proclaim that day that we've already prayed for this morning. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So where will Jesus come to? He'll still have his resurrected body. We need to understand that. There's an old chorus that goes, there's a man in the glory. And the resurrected body of Jesus, which is now in heaven, will be what will come down to the earth, to the Mount of Olives. The resurrected body of Jesus will be a bit like your resurrected body and mine. It will be a real body, it will be recognisable, but it will be different. Paul, as you know, writes chapters about the spiritual body and the natural body. For example, we know that Jesus used to just appear among the disciples. He didn't appear to need to come through the door. And yet, on the other hand, he said to his disciples, when he appeared in their midst, look, I'm not a ghost. Come and, you can come and touch my hands. The nail prints are still there. Do you remember? And on another occasion, he said, look, Let's have breakfast together. I want to eat something. And he was doing that to show them that this was the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. And it's a resurrected Jesus Christ who is coming back to the earth. And Jesus could not be in several places at the same time. He could only be in one place. And so he's got to come somewhere. And I see no reason to doubt what Zechariah said and that Jesus is coming again and it will be to the Mount of Olives. And once more the cry will go up, Blessed is the Lord, the Conqueror, the King, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes on the name of the Lord. And Jesus will return to the earth, never to leave it again. Jesus will return to rule over the world as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. No more will his blessed name be a swear word. But everyone, kings, People of great authority will kneel at his feet. And all those who are trusting in him as Lord and Saviour will be there on that great day. Isn't that wonderful? Those who are alive when he comes will be summoned to the Mount of Olives. Those believers in Christ who have died in faith will come with him. The Bible tells us that's going to be a wonderful day. I must be very careful because I will start preaching about it because it's such a wonderful topic. Let me just finish by reading 
a few verses from Thessalonians about that day when Jesus comes again to the Mount of Olives. Brothers, says Paul, I don't want you to be ignorant about those who've already died or grieve like those who have no hope because we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that when Jesus comes again, God will bring with Jesus those who have already died trusting in him. According to God's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left when the Lord comes, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself is going to come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And those who have died in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive will be caught up together with them and him in the clouds to meet with the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words.